Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast about our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen post, the Lady of Tarth on Twitter, joined with Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast. Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. And Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I am at the Chikrin on Twitter. Welcome, everybody. Um, as we continue our read of A Game of Thrones, we are on the Aria 2 chapter. Um, warning to everybody who's listening, we spoil everything. Um, so we have Le- uh, Ned coming in for a late supper, as he seems to be doing so often lately with his uh, small council meetings. Everyone is excited about the tournament um, that is to honor Ned, and Arya can tell that her father is not excited. Ned doesn't want to subject his family to what he feels is a farce, but eventually he's worn down by both Septim Mordain and Sansa, who desperately want to attend the tournament, more so Sansa. Um, Arya says she does not care if she's there. Sansa replies, you shan't be missed. (laughs) (laughs) Ned loses his temper and tells them both that he's sick of their squabbling. Um, they need to act like sisters. And I'm like, dude, they are so acting like sisters. <laughs> this is like how, you know, Ned just had one sister, right? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing worse than a war between sisters. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Ned excuses himself and um, the talk turns to preparing for the tournament. No one talks to Arya and she, you know, misses her brothers terribly and she misses her life at Winterfell. She used to enjoy the company of the men that her father would host for meals. Now she hates them. Jane Poole told her of how none of them had done anything when Micah was killed, and that the butcher's boy was so badly slaughtered they gave him back to his father in a bag. Oh, God, this hurts me. Like <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. To yeah. my soul. I mean, just... Every freaking time I had... Well, Jamie threw a boy out a window. Like, you know... The hound chopped up a kid who was completely innocent to the and then gave him in a bag to his dad. Right? Like, like did not have to die. It just. Uh. Oh, well, he was just following even, orders. But it wasn't even Sander who gave him the bag. I mean, like, there's no compassion from anyone. It seems like for this poor fucking butcher, let alone his kid. I mean, right. like, you don't hand someone their kid in a bag, you a fucking bag. assholes. Like, what is? Why wasn't Micah sent back to Winterfell to be buried along with Lady? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. You know. Uh, just as. I mean, oh. how, and I mean, I don't know how any of them can possibly trust any meat that they're getting from this butcher, who I'm sure it's not like he got, you know, yeah. bereavement time or anything either. Yeah. I'd be shitting in all their pies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope that they all <laughs> ate shit pies. Like. <laughs> Everyone in Ned's household. Well, actually, I don't know if the butcher worked for, like, if he was. Actually, I don't know if he was from Winterfell or if he was from King's Landing. Like, I don't know where. Um, I got the where sense he from. came down from the north with them, don't you? To yeah, for Arya I always to be friends that, with them. Yeah, they I came guess, from the north with them. Yes. Did they? Okay. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I hope everyone in the t- in the Tower of the Hand has been eating shit pies, like, <laughs> until they die, until they all get killed, basically. <laughs> I'll never get well, over it, Micah's death. I'll, I'll never. Mm-mm. This is another one of those moments where George is, he puts things in that are meant to make you step outside of what is being presented to you in the narrative and, and kind of go, oh, wait a minute. This is one of those things. This is George does this with the small folk all the time. Mm-hmm. You should be fucking appalled. You should be appalled that all of these highborn people don't give two fucking shits about what was done to this little kid and that they have no compassion for his father. I mean, like, you should care. Like, you should be highly disturbed. George wants you to be disturbed. That There's a reason that this is so brutal. Um, You know, Ned's a great guy. We all love Ned. Ned has issues, and one of them is presented to you right here. He equates both Lady and this butcher's boy. <laughs> like he, he doesn't he doesn't think of one as worse than the other. And it's like that is an example to you that even even the great lords in the high house, you know, the the houses paramount, don't give the small folk the weight that they should. They don't treat them as fully human. And, and here is precisely your example. And how fucked up is it that? We, as readers, and I'm just using it, we in a general, broader mm-hmm. sense, we also don't give two fucks. Because you don't yeah. ever hear about this. And like you just said, you know, Ned, no. nobody holds Ned accountable. Nobody no. holds the Hound accountable. Like, he's definitely a fan fave. I mean, and, I, mean I, I think love Sander, the Hound, too. Sander, but, I mean, Sander definitely gets shit for killing Micah. He does. As much shit as he should, probably not. But everyone else who facilitates this doesn't get any fucking shit either. I mean, from Robert to Cersei to Ned to everyone else. I mean, like, just think about this in a modern context, right? Everyone involved in this murder of this small child would be imprisoned in a just world. <laughs> and yet that's not even remotely considered for an instant in, in Westeros. This you know, is, this is yeah. this is fine. Yeah, this I mean, is literally you know, King's justice, Queen's yeah, justice. Because, because Micah, a, a little boy ran away from, you know, a prince who was trying to kill him for no reason. Like, Joffrey was yes. going to kill him yep. until, you know, Arya and Nymeria put a stop to it. Like, mm-hmm. Joffrey was yep. just going to kill him for sport. And get away with it, because that's yeah. the world that they lived in. Right. And, you know, Micah ran. Like, it's just... I mean, we talk, I know we talk about, you know, Shay's murder and how it's just sort of brushed aside because she's a sex worker. And it's, you know, the, oh, Mike is just a butcher's boy. He doesn't matter. You know, he doesn't matter. And I mean, uh, it just gets, it, it beats you down, you know. Well, taste of things to come. It really is. Yeah. See, uh, Arya asks to be excused from the table and is denied. She's told to sit down and clean her plate. And she's like, you clean it. And then she takes off, <clears throat> makes a run for it to her room where she locks herself inside. And then she, you know, has a moment where she cries and she's feeling the guilt of what she believes is her part in Micah's death. Okay. Uh, can we just break in here for a second? Sure, yeah. Because you have Arya very much, number one, grieving this friend that she's lost and grieving lady to, to an extent. But not only that, she feels responsible. So every time someone's like, oh, Arya's a psychopath. She doesn't have a conscience. She doesn't. I'm just like, what are you fucking talking about? Arya feels things that literally no one else in the text right. is I mean, feeling. as much as we were, just, you know, everything that we were just talking about, like Arya is this like kind of wonderful exception in a way, because she is the one she is like the highborn person who is like not only, you know, not only 
still talking about this, but actually like putting the blame where it all belongs, which is essentially on everyone else in her world. Like she's seeing the injustice done to the small folk. Whereas I think it's so commonplace that no one else, it's not even on their consciousness at all. Yeah. It's become the norm for them. Yeah. She's not there yet. No. Yeah. And not only that, but she takes responsibility. She feels responsible. You know, I mean like that is, If you feel guilty and sorry for something that you think you might have done wrong, you're someone with a conscience. And clearly Arya has one. Yeah. And yeah, she's, you know, for as hardened as you see portrayals of her, she's, you know, extremely sensitive at this. Like, you know, she's really, really sensitive. And I don't know that that's something that we ever really think. uh, That's a word we typically use to describe Arya, but I don't know how else to describe her in this chapter. Yeah, and so much much of her behavior that is poor is a result of how sensitive she is, you know? There's a fundamental misunderstanding of Arya, and I know a lot of it is because of Game of Thrones, but it really bothers me. Yeah. Like, it makes me sad that everybody, like, pretty much responsible for this, like, she won't get to kill any of them. That makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. Because I really want her to get somebody for it. Because who's left? What, Cersei? Cersei. I would yeah. be a biggie. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Let's <laughs> 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 see. Uh, Arya rummages through her chest and takes out Needle. Um, she wishes that she could climb like Bran. She would go right out the window, away from Sansa, her septa, and Prince Joffrey. Ned knocks on her door and asks if he can come in, and she forgets that she's holding Needle. He asks how she came by it, and Arya refuses to name John. Uh, he tells her he doesn't think she should be playing with a sword. <clears throat> and I selected a little bit of a passage. I ought to snap this toy across my knee here and now and put an end to this nonsense. Needle wouldn't break, Arya said defiantly, but her voice betrayed her words. It has a name, does it? Her father sighed. Ah, uh, Arya, you have a wildness in you, child. The wolf blood, my father used to call it. Leanna had a touch of it, and my brother Brandon, more than a touch. It brought them both to an early grave. Arya heard sadness in his voice. He did not often speak of his father or of the brother and sister who had died before she was born. Leanna might have carried a sword if my father had allowed it. You remind me of her sometimes. You even look like her. Leanna was beautiful. Arya said, startled. Everybody said so. It was not a thing that was ever said of Arya. <clears throat> she was, Eddard agreed, beautiful and willful and dead before her time. He lifted the sword, held it out between them. Arya, did you? Th- what did you think to do with this needle? Who did you hope to skewer? Your sister, Scepter Mordain? Do you know the first thing about sword fighting? All she could think of was the lesson John had given her. Stick them with the pointy end, she blurted out. Her father snorted back laughter. That is the essence of it, I suppose. (laughs) It's, you know, one thing about Ned is, I don't, you know, when he talks about the wildness and Liana and stuff, and it's like, I mean, the one story, the one real story we know about Liana is, is very much like Arya, and it's not that they're wild, it's that they're like the champions on the underdog. You know, we know about Liana, um, defending Howland Reed and when he's getting bullied and, you know, fighting off these bullies. And like, that's the most Arya thing about her is that she was willing, you know, that she is like, she is the person that fights for the underdogs. And, you know, that's such a, such a strong trait of Arya's too. And, 
you know, Ned just sees, you know, I think Ned just sees what happened to Liana and, and doesn't like necessarily see some of those traits as like really good things in a person anymore. Hmm. So he's Although cautious. to be fair, he is talking about the willfulness with Liana, which yeah. of course completely tore a continent apart. So he has a little bit of a point there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah. assuming she consented, you know, which could she at her age, you know, whatever she definitely, I think went with, with Rhaegar of her own volition though. Let's see. Um, Arya breaks down in her father's arms. She tells him it was her fault Micah died. She had asked him to practice swords with her. Dead comforts her and tells her, no, um, she's not to blame. That blame lies with the Hound and the Queen. She tells him she hates them all. The Queen, Joffrey, the King, and Sansa for lying. Ned tells her we all lie and asks if she really believes that Nymeria ran, that he really thinks that Nymeria ran off. She tells him the truth of how she had to throw rocks at her wolf to get her to run off. Um, she didn't want the queen to kill her. Yeah, I'm really glad you're not reading that passage because I think I would start to cry. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to read that. <laughs> oh, that's why I've been silent because even since you started reading all this part, <laughs> it gets me every time. <laughs> I can't help it. It's worse. It's worse, like, on, oh, you know, rereading it, <laughs> like, knowing everything you know. and Well, it's just, it's the dog. <laughs> That's why it's bad. Like, I just can't even, I can't even imagine doing that to my dog. Like, I just couldn't, like, I feel bad when I leave the house now without her. And, I mean, I'm with her 99% of the time. <laughs> like, imagine feel ac- bad. when you accidentally step on your dog's paw and oh, what it yeah. does. Like, imagine throwing rocks. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I can- oh, God. And even to, you know, even to save her, I still, like, oh. Uh, it's just. And this, like, it, oh, yeah. So, this, the illustrated version of this one, the illustration is, you know, of, of Ned and Arya talking. And it's just, Arya probably, I mean, she looks so young. You know, she looks like she's a seven-year-old. She looks so, you know, hmm. just tiny and you think about this little girl and then, you know, you think about her talking about, you know, having to drive off this, you know, mystical wolf, you know, her mystical wolf pet, seeing her friend killed, you know, having her, and you know, feeling responsible for it. Yeah. Like this little, this little waif here, mm-hmm. you know, foreshadowing, um, this little waif feels like that weight upon her shoulders. And when you see this picture of her, it's just, you know, tiny, her tiny shoulders. It's just awful. Yeah. You kind of fall in love with our, you know, I think that's what I, this chapter made me like really kind of fall in love with Arya again. Cause I, I think you do get caught up in the show version and the disappointment over the show version. And you forget that the origin, she is and the like, heart we're and... right. The origins of, and where her heart has been this whole time. Yeah. And then, you think of like that feast chapter, you know, needles, John Snow smile, like, oh God. Like, well, and, this and little what girl's Ned, still there. And what Ned says to her in this chapter, you know, this line that is very much going to shape her, her perspective from here on out about, you know, <laughs> the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Yes. I mean, pack is everything to Arya, and you have to think that this is part of the origin of that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was. Uh, yeah. So that is the next bit of this is where Ned reminds Arya of their house words. Winter is coming, and he, you know, tells her that she was born in the long summer, but now winter is truly coming. And then he asks her to remember their sigil, and it's the dire wolf. And uh, we get the bit about. Um, let me see. I think I actually selected it. Um, the dire wolf, she said, thinking of Nymeria. She hugged her knees against her chest, suddenly afraid. Let me tell you something about wolves, child. When the snow falls and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Summer is the time for squabbles. In winter, we must protect one another, keep each other warm, share our strengths. So if you must hate Arya, hate those who would truly do us harm. Scepter Mordain is a good woman, and Sansa? Sansa is your sister. You may be as different as the sun and the moon, but the same blood throws, flows through both your hearts. You need her as much as she needs you, and I need you both. Gods help me. He sounded so tired that it made Arya sad. I don't hate Sansa, she told him. Not truly. He was only half a lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, that... Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay, let me just finish this one up. Um, I do not mean to frighten you, but neither will I lie to you. We have come to a dark, dangerous place, child. This is not Winterfell. We have enemies who mean us ill. We cannot fight a war among ourselves. This willfulness of yours, the running off, the angry words, the disobedience at home, these are only the summer games of a child. Here and now, with winter soon upon us, this is a different matter. It is time to begin growing up. I mean, this, that passage feels like it really resonates right now, too, as, you know, we're, you know, our fam, our unit, our, basically our units that we interact with have become so small and so tight. And we, you know, it just, it feels like this is our, you know, our winter, if you will. Yeah. I, that's why I, I select it to read it, because it did resonate with me that way, too. Uh, let's just end it here. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know too also though when you look at the bigger the bigger picture of the story these are like very wise words of Ned and if you think of all the houses involved they all should have had these like if they had all like kind of stuck together better they might have made it through yeah and I mean they must yeah. and, you know obviously like each region must stick together pretty close in winter, you know, I mean, in the north, especially, I mean, it can't just be the Starks. It has to be the Starks and the Boltons and the Car Starks and the Reeds and the, you know, everyone yeah. to make it through. Well, and it's clearly meta for what will eventually happen in the stand against the others where right. all of Westeros will have to stand together or they're not going to make it. it. Just seems more and more unrealistic that they're going to make it, though. <laughs> like, <I> just really... <laughs> <laughs> if we know anything about real apocalypses now. Right, like this is like the really easiest apocalypse, and we're just like screwing it up, man. I, I mean, look at us, right? It. So badly. <laughs> right? Like, I can't go to TGI Fridays. F everyone. Like, Take to the streets. I can't get my hair done. Oh my god. There was like yeah, a like someone shared a photo of somebody protesting with their sign, like I I need my freedom or freedom is my right, and it's like, ma'am, this is a Baskin Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, it probably literally was a Baskin Robbins. It was, so she was in front of a Baskin Robbins with her sign. Like, that's where she was. Oh, my God. Yes, we all need to get our hair colored cut. Like, I get it. 
But there are, you know, God forbid, there are actually more important things. Like, there are actually more important things than the Iron Throne. Hmm. Well, I was just going to say, reading this, like, going back and reading this first one more than any of the other ones, like, makes me want the rest of the series much more. And it's it's mostly because of the things that Ned says, like this passage here, like, just how much it means for Endgame and all of that. Um, So, like, reading this one just really makes me want wins and dream of spring yeah and i mean even the promise which at this point you know who knows what his conception of sansa was you know this early in writing but you know just the you know the relationship in the future between sansa and Arya, and how that might end up being like i want that too you know like there's so I much of this that, you know it's been promised to come back together yeah like, yeah, I, I can't help feeling that way with the um, reading these early chapters too. Is like, especially with the the previous chapter with the dagger and like wondering like what was he, where was he at with where this story was going? Because I feel like it was going in a much different direction at that point. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it is hard to know. Well, and as we've talked about, there are clearly remnants of another story in this book too. Mm-hmm. See, so Arya is comforted by her father's words. Um, she promises him that she'll be strong. Uh, he hands Needle back to her, and it's on the condition she promises not, never to stab Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next day, Arya apologizes to her septa, and then three days after that, she's taken to the small hall that has been cleared of all the tables and benches, where she begins her training with Cyril Pharrell, the first Sea Lord of Bravos. They train with wooden swords. No, 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 what? no. He's the first sword of the Sea Lord of Bravos. Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> very important. He's a very so important lot. So sorry. <laughs> so they train with the wooden swords, and there's a lead port inside to give it weight so it'll make Arya stronger. Um, they are learning the water dance of Bravos. Did I get that right? <laughs> One-handed and yes, swift. did. Okay. They train for four hours, and Arya fails to land a single blow. But wow, yeah. like, I mean, I would not. I'd be like out after like ten minutes if I wasn't landing <laughs> yeah, a single blow, man. Like, wow. I have like a VR like boxing game. I can't make it like <laughs> two minutes. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, four hours is ridiculous. And she, again, she's like a seven-year-old. So imagine like what a seven-year-old doing anything for four hours. <laughs> she's nine. She's nine. Oh, she's nine. Okay. Well, still, Fran imagine a nine-year-old doing anything for four hours. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. I, I love this. So, I mean, like, you know, we've been beating up on Ned a little bit, but I love that he, you know, he gets her uh, a sword master. I mean, you you kind of have to love that, that he... He lets her be who she is. Yeah, of who, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I really love that, the father-daughter dynamic. And, you know, he's he sees what her needs are, and he's feeling badly for her. And, I mean, it's a twofold thing, too, because he's fulfilling something he knows she'll uh, enjoy. But also, he's keeping her busy and occupied. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, do we have mail for this episode? Yeah, we actually have a couple of really good questions. So um, nobody one has a question. We know that Bran was Catelyn's favorite child, but do you think Ned preferred any of his children over the others? 
In this chapter, he has a heart-to-heart with Arya about how the Micah incident wasn't her fault, but we don't see him having a similar conversation with Sansa to comfort her about Lady's death or understand why she couldn't speak up against Joffrey. At least he never does so on page. Also, do you think Sansa would have still run to Cersei when he told her his plans to break her betrothal with Joffrey and leave King's Landing if he had taken the pains to understand and speak with her before that? Um, I hope you ladies and occasional gentlemen are safe as as well. Um, I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question. I don't feel like I don't I don't think Ned was showing favoritism towards Arya here. I think it's like one of those cases where you have two children with Arya and Sansa. One is very obedient well-mannered, well-behaved, and, like, sorry to say it, but those kids usually don't get as much attention because you kind of have to spend time to correct the actions of the one that isn't doing that. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think Sansa needed him any less, you know? No, I I agree. Like, he should have taken... That's that's, that's kind of the point, is it's unfortunate that he didn't spend that time with Sansa, but I don't think it's showing favoritism. I mean, well, let's... Let's back up here. We don't know that Ned didn't talk to Sansa about about Lady. I mean, we have no idea that that did or didn't happen. I mean, it probably yeah. did happen. Look at the kind of father he is. Yeah. He probably did talk to her about it. The thing that the comment said was he didn't tell her the whole political situation with what was going on with Joffrey and Cersei and everything. And that's an argument we can have. But, I mean, like, she was 11. Like, how much do you tell an 11-year-old about a complicated political situation? I don't think you can. Oh, no. Plus, Let's just be honest. Ned might have had an idea that she may not have been the person to tell all that to as well. Um, You know, that's that's a whole other conversation. I think Ned, more so than Catelyn, Catelyn definitely plays favorites, um, doesn't seem to play favorites because all of his kids seem to have had a good relationship with him and, you know, seem to have felt a bond with him. Um, you know, we don't get in Rob's head, but just the way that Rob talks about him and the clear effect that he's had on Rob. Um, you know, Bran was close to him. John was close to him. I think, I think Ned, Ned did his best to connect with all of his kids. And I think what he's showing you with Arya is he's trying to connect with them as they are, mm-hmm. you know, and that's probably a different relationship with each kid because they're all fairly different people. Which is a good parent who, who does that. Yeah, and I mean, Sansa obviously has other people in her life that she can, you know, she obviously is, you know, she has a better relationship with Septimordain. She has girlfriends. She has other people, too, that she could talk to. Yeah, well, I mean, but we don't know that Ned didn't talk to her. I mean, like, I think you can probably assume that he did. How else would he know that they were fighting? He knew, we, you know, from his chapter, we knew that he knew that they were fighting and why. Um, I mean, you kill your child's pet you're gonna talk yeah. to them about it afterwards yeah, you are, of course. <laughs> i mean look at look at well, everything that we've seen ned talks to bran after like the execution in bran's first chapter you know like to see how he's doing how he's feeling about it i mean he always cares and like doesn't catelyn say that he always asks about the children first whenever he sees her i mean like mm-hmm. he cares about all of his kids he doesn't love one of his oh, kids yeah. i don't now we can have this discussion about cat <laughs> <laughs> cat does have favorites. Oh, brand, but... 100%. Not, not yeah. even discussion. It's brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think they both, you know, they both go to the kids that need them the most. For the, for the most part, you know. You know, Cat is with Rob when he needs her, you know, when he needs her the most. And at this point in time, you know, Arya needs, needs Ned the most. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they they both love their. I mean, I shouldn't say Cat has favorites, but she loves all of her kids. Yeah, she loves every single one of them. You can just hear it in her voice and in her chapters. Well, and I mean, she, you know, what she like, she's the only one that is willing to go to any, you know, any links to save or to, you know, to get Arya and Sansa back. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. she's the one who's willing to, you know, commit treason to try to to try to save her girls. Yeah, treason against her own son. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that kind of is a pretty definitive statement right there. Like, she's... Yeah. <laughs> hmm. um, we have another question from Buck O'Hare, who says, What's up with Bravos? How much of a role does it have in Westeros? Um, you get the sense it's the uh closest of the free cities or any anywhere yeah. in Essos really to not closest maybe geographically but just in Culturally. culture. Yeah. Uh, I mean there seem to be financial ties and trading ties with Bravos and maybe that's because of of the origin of Bravos. I'm not sure because it was founded by people from many different places. And isn't uh, Bravos completely I mean I know they're all the free cities, but Bravos is like the one that's the most um like anti slavery. Well, yes, because it was founded by by escaped slaves. By the, yeah, so, yeah. So it's yes. Hmm. And then you know the money. Yeah, I, that's all being set up. I think the bank doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're like the Japan of Westeros. I was just trying to figure out like if I could compare it to. <laughs> hmm. I mean, it would depend. It would depend on what country you're in, what country this would be to your country. Yeah, that's true. I would imagine, but yeah, I, just, I made a, I made Westeros America. America. You know. Yeah, if it yeah. Was, it'd be like the Cayman Islands or something. <laughs> hey, have you, um, Lot? Have you heard the joke going around Twitter? Well, what's that? I feel like what I'm being borders set up. on what borders on stupidity? Canada, <laughs> Canada, and Mexico. <laughs> Uh, she made me say it. <laughs> yep. Hashtag not all Americans. Uh, hashtag where's the lie? <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we got um, any other questions? <laughs> yeah, we have a question from Shoot Banana. Um, I wanted to ask if you guys have ever discussed the misogyny surrounding Brienne from the fandom. I think the fact that people are so eager to dismiss her as Jamie's romantic interest, even though the evidence, which is like embarrassing to even have to argue about, is so strong with the Weirwood dream, Heron Hall, put this in the fire, Jamie scrambled to his feet, Duncan Rohan, the Gallinon of Morn story, is a perfect example of feminism being exclusive to beautiful women. Absolutely. We've, this is uh, constantly, I couldn't even tell you where this has been peppered into our many conversations, but... If Brienne was, you know, your typical femme fatale within a fantasy genre, this, 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 these, these conversations wouldn't even be a thing. I think the most infuriating ones, and I, it was brought up on Twitter this week, it was revived, was this idea that, um, you know, oh, Jamie and Brienne, they, they transcend romance. And, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> precisely because she's, uh, you know, it, the underlying one of the underlying aspects of that is, you know, that she is ugly. So, you know, oh, how, you know, oh, my gosh, an ugly woman in a in a platonic relationship. You know, how groundbreaking. Florals for spring. You know, it's like that. <laughs> that kind of attitude. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, uh, there's a, it's not, it's not just individuals. I mean, there's kind of a societal thing about straight, straight men, um, wanting good looking women, um, thinking of them as trophies, not just that, but you know, it's it's fiction and everywhere it's presented that for a straight man to, to, to win at life. He needs, you know, a good looking lady on his arm. Well, I mean, more precisely, she's she is a reward, not a person like, yeah. a, you know, the beautiful yeah. woman is the reward, which is why those Kingsman movies like the first movie. Mm-hmm. I would never like I, I don't care who you put in them. You can put Pedro Pascal in the sequel. I'm never going to see it because of. But, I mean, it's every Every it's everywhere. Movie. That was just very egregious to me. <laughs> That's, but, yeah, the, like, That's the one. <laughs> it's, like, it's I can't everywhere. boycott everything. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere and it's everything. And it's like you don't get the same in reverse because you get, you know, very not good looking straight guys who still get the the hot wife or the pretty wife or, you know, I mean, like it's you you never you almost never see the opposite of this and when you do there's a lot of discussion and i think for a lot of straight men it is threatening to them the idea that they would have to settle for a not not hot wife and i think that is some of the kind of bristling response that you get in fandom at times um especially if the guys really identify with Jamie on some level the <laughs> idea that he would fail at life and end up with Brienne um, as I mean, a even, partner. you know, for Brienne, like what, what is, you know, Brienne is a, Brienne story in the show is, you know, very classical hero in a sense. And, you know, her reward is a life of celibacy. Yes. Yeah. No, there's, you know? there was definitely misogyny in her story in Game of Thrones. There's definitely misogyny in her narrative. I mean, I think some of it, some of the misogyny in her narrative is, is clearly interrogated by the narrative, but you know, there are some elements that uh, I think George didn't think through well, but yeah, I think the reaction to her in fandom is, is often rooted in misogyny. Yeah. There's no question. And then from women, sometimes it's internalized misogyny. So yeah, I mean, I don't you know. think the reaction is necessarily male exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, how many oh. times have we asked or seen people ponder, well, maybe Brienne would look all right. You know, she did have her helmet on a long time. <laughs> like, maybe she's just conventionally, you know, conven- not conventionally attractive, you know, like this, this constant fight in the fandom to make her not, uh, make her not quite so ugly. Mm-hmm. Like, which you have, you know, I get for a lot of women who identify with Brienne, it is very difficult to think that to, you know, when you're, when you're socialized in, in, in the societies that we're all socialized in, it's very difficult for a woman to think I'm ugly. I will never be beautiful. That's a very difficult position to put yourself in emotionally and mentally. And, and if you identify heavily with Brienne to admit that about Brienne, I think is to admit it about yourself. And I understand why that's very difficult for a lot of people to, to kind of grapple with. And so you get this on the other hand, I mean like attraction does not equal beauty. People can be attracted to not necessarily objectively attractive people. It happens all the time. It's yeah. happening in a, in a song of ice and fire right now. I mean, that's I'm and part of the, like every, this is just what makes their characters so wonderful and different than what we usually get you know and it's just some people just can't seem to wrap their heads around it yeah i i get i get why there's a there's a lot there's there's a river 
underlying reactions that you get to Brienne and Jamie and Brienne together. And, you know, I try to have a little bit of compassion because I know that it it kind of can pluck at some some deep strings inside people. But Uh at the same time, it's fucking annoying. (laughs) Well, it's because it's been going on for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah, it is. It's like every you see like these arguments resurrected, you know, like lately I've seen the well, you like Brienne, you must be ugly. <laughs> Come back. Again? <laughs> yeah, that old chestnuts come back. Like, like round three of that? <laughs> Four? Yeah. And I think it was related to the um, the um, Song of Madness tourney, which came down to a final of Brienne versus <sighs> Danny. I don't want and to the talk Danny, about that. The Danny fans were quite... Um, They're horrible. ...obnoxious <laughs> and obviously, like, new to the whole thing, so they didn't quite get... Like that, it's supposed to be fun. So like that argument was trotted out Ugh. in that context. And like, oh geez, we've been, <laughs> how many times has this come around? Like six or seven. Like, <laughs> but isn't that Tourney supposed to be the book characters and not the show characters? Yeah, it's so it obviously is. show influence, though. Um, I mean, the final. I think who did Brienne? Like someone from Fire and Blood made the semifinals. Like good Queen Alisane, which you know. So I mean, yeah. yeah, So I mean, there's definitely, it's definitely still more book, but yeah. I mean, it was. This is why this is why I can't participate in general fandom right here. Yeah, the the Danny stuff was kind of, you know, kind of irritating. Somebody had like a tweet today where they were asking, "Hey everybody, positive vibes. What was your favorite moment from season eight? And I was trying so hard to, like, find the appropriate, like, I'm not playing this game gift. <laughs> so, but it was, like, all all the answers was all, like, it was all Danny fans and, like, all really? Danny moments. I'm like, Ugh. How could they be happy with what Danny? What moment How could, could you have? Uh, you look what are you it saying up? right now? That makes sense. <laughs> that doesn't even, does not compute. So there was a Twitter poll today, which I thought, like, it was, would you rather have... Game of Thrones season eight, the only entertainment you could have watched in 2019, or would you rather have 2020? And it's like, well, I picked well, Game of Thrones 2019 because you know we're not monsters. and everything. Yeah, I was I don't only want winning to die. like 54 to 46 percent. Oh God, I hate humanity. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, come on. It was horrible, but it's not more horrible than a global pandemic. But people like, are fucking dying. Yeah. Glibness, like, glibness lives. Yeah, like it's like I get like haha, but I mean, come on, let's like you know, it was horrible, but yeah, lighten up a little bit or, or a lot, as the case may be in this one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, is that it for the mail? That is. All right, it was a good batch. Okay, if yeah. you want to send us stuff, you can at close the door and at gmail dot com. Uh, you can reach us on Tumblr at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast. Um, consider subscribing to Patreon if you can. Um, if not, like um, subscribe, review wherever you may listen. Um, and that'll wrap it up for us. So thank you guys for podcasting. I'll be closing the door. Get out. <laughs>